The Apostle Paul instructed Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? The word sound refers to something that is healthy. Thus, sound doctrine is the teaching of healthy biblical truth. Sound doctrine is the missing ingredient in many churches today, often led by pastors who feed their congregations spiritual junk food. That does not mean sound doctrine should be boring or unsatisfying. It's not like eating your vegetables. However, a healthy church results from a steady diet of biblical food from its pastors. Someone once defined doctrine as teaching from God about God that directs us to the glory of God. Are you consuming enough sound biblical doctrine to change the way you think and act? I'm Ron Jones. And this is something good. To change the way you behave, you first have to change the way you think. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and thanks for being here for this Tuesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Well, before anyone can take the action of putting their faith in Christ for salvation, they first have to believe that it's necessary, and they have to believe that Jesus Christ is the only means by which they can be saved. Behavior follows belief. That's why teaching sound doctrine in the church is so critical. Stay with us now as Ron talks about the importance of sound doctrine as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, or visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where he serves as lead pastor, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, Titus, Putting Things in Order. Furthermore, teaching sound doctrine presupposes that there is a direct correlation between how we think and how we act. You know, some people think that, oh, theology and sound doctrine, it's all about the mind and, you know, we're, it's just an intellectual exercise. Give me something that warms the heart and helps me to live and all that. Well, it starts with how you think. There's a direct correlation between how we think and what we believe to be true and how we act. For example, if you think you can fly, if you believe that with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength that you can fly, you might go jump off a bridge. And that'd be a very dangerous thing to do. So it would be important for you uh, to know the truth about the aerodynamics of the human body before you go do something stupid, right? Because how you think, there's a direct correlation to how you act. It's a life and death matter to know the aerodynamics of the human body, right? Well, likewise, sound doctrine is an eternal life and death matter. It directs our thinking and uh, influences our behavior. Well, then Paul gets specific about teaching sound doctrine to various groups. He mentions uh, younger and older. I'm glad to hear that in our student ministry, you know what they're going through on Wednesday nights? Biblical apologetics. We're teaching middle and high school students what to believe and why they believe it. All right, regarding this. So that when they go off to the university and Dr. Who Daddy tries to undercut all of that, they say, no, 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 excuse me, Dr. Who Daddy. Let, let me, let me, uh, 
Let me, let me give you something else to think about, all right? So the young need to be taught, the older, younger women, older women, uh, various groups. Uh, what should Titus teach them and how? Well, Paul instructs Titus to teach them about the grace of God. That's a good place to start. And that salvation is for all people. Teach them to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Teach them, he says, to wait for our blessed hope. He goes on to describe that as the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope of the church, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Teach them about that. And then he says, teach with all authority and let no one disregard you. Now this isn't an invitation to be authoritarian when you teach. No pastor should be authoritarian. But it's an acknowledgement that our authority for what we have to say comes from the Holy Scriptures. Okay? It's, it's, not, it's not what I say. It's not my opinion. It's not my thoughts. Uh, in a church like ours, biblical authority is what matters. By the way, as an aside, in the Catholic Church, Catholic dogma trumps biblical authority. Be very careful with that. Uh, some of you might have come you know, out of a background of Catholicism where I hear it all the time, we didn't learn much about the Bible, we didn't study our Bibles. That's because Catholic dogma trumps biblical authority. That's not true in the Protestant church and in this church, it's biblical authority. And then even in some Protestant churches, they haven't got it right about biblical authority, okay? Teach with all authority, he says, and let no one disregard you. And that brings us uh, to chapter three, where Paul introduces a third way to bring order uh, to a disorderly church. And uh, this may surprise you, he, he really emphasizes the good works of those who call them followers of Jesus Christ. Actually, throughout the book of Titus, uh, Paul reminds Titus of the importance of good works, good works that result from salvation, he makes this reminder six times. That's an average of twice per chapter. He begins chapter three with an emphasis on good Christian citizenship by saying, Titus, I want you to remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Boy, the citizens of our country could use some instruction like that, right? A little bit of courtesy, a little bit of kindness, avoid the quarreling, a little gentleness goes a long way. Keep in mind that the Christians living in Crete fell under the strong, oppressive arm of the mighty Roman Empire. And they might have been tempted to, you know, call up arms and uh, engage in a counter-revolution. But Paul says, no, that's not where you start. As followers of Jesus Christ, he encouraged courtesy and good works as a response from believers in Jesus. He also reminded Titus about the goodness and loving kindness of God toward all believers. Let's pick it up in chapter three and verse three. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now the Cretans, the believers in the Cretan church, might have thought that about you know, the other people in their culture. They might have thought that about the mighty, oppressive you know, Roman Empire. But Paul says, this is who we were apart from Christ. 
He goes on to say, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Paul's about to enter into a gospel moment here. But don't miss what he's trying to do here. He's saying, listen, you're a disorderly church in a disorderly environment. You need to bring order to the church, first of all, inside the house of God. But one of the best ways to let your orderliness influence the culture outside is to start with courtesy and kindness. It was the goodness and loving kindness of God that brought you to faith in Christ. Now, he could have used, you know, some fire and brimstone, and at times the Lord does. Oftentimes we hear that. There's, there's stern warning about eternal punishment in the scriptures we dare not ignore. But wouldn't it be better if we come to him wooed by his uh, goodness and his loving kindness? And Paul's just encouraging those believers in the Cretan church, start there. It was the goodness and loving kindness of our God that brought you to faith in Christ, and he saved us. So just just kill him with kindness and courtesy and good works, even though they're the most unruly liars and gluttons. You know, I mean, it 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 was island life. Paul goes on to say, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I love Paul's gospel moment here. Don't miss it. All right? Even though this is a kind of an inside the church letter, he's writing to the pastor who's disseminating it to those who have already been brought to Christ. He brings them back to that gospel moment. Don't ever stray far from remembering where you came from and what he saved you from. And before you, you know, point too many fingers at the culture and I want to do that too and preach against the culture, just remember it took the kindness and the goodness of God to save us from that. We're not better than anybody else. (laughs) We're just saved by the grace of God. He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Yeah, the Christian's life should overflow with good works, not as a means of achieving salvation, which Jesus Christ, our Savior, already purchased for us. We'll return to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones in just a moment. To listen to any of Ron's messages on demand, please visit somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, be sure to access the Something Good digital library with more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic to find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. Again, that's our Something Good digital library at somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good Radio and free resources like the Something Good Digital Library only exist through the faithful prayer and financial support of listeners like you. Today, as you give, we'll give you access to an ebook written by Dr. Ron Jones that goes along with the seventh road trip in his current series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. 
This digital resource covers each of the 13 Pauline epistles. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Ron will join me in studio after today's message, so stay with us. But first, let's tune in to the second half of today's Something Good radio message, Titus, Putting Things in Order. If you remember back in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that gospel moment in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, in summary, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. Good works are a demonstration of God's grace and profitable for people, Paul says. Now, in the same breath, there at the end of chapter 3 of Titus, Paul warns Titus about troublemakers in the church, and he offers a strong, strong response to anyone who, he says, quote, stirs up division. Let's pick it up in verse 9, where Paul says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. And then he says, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, are you ready for this? Have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, on a beautiful sunny day on a tropical island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, you might think Paul was being a little bit harsh, but if, if, if you're Titus and you know the unruly environment that he's in, this may be exactly what is needed. And again, throughout all of Paul's letters, he warns about false doctrine. He warns about those who will stir up division. Usually starts with gossip and some backbiting and a Okay. Stirring up division. You know, political posturing in the church. People who have got their claws in it and think they own it. Trying to, you know, manipulate this and to manipulate that. Paul's warning is strong. To those who stir up division, you warn them once. I would stop right there, but I'm not God. Our God is a God of second chances, so you warn them twice. And if they do not repent and change their ways, the implication is they're out of here. You're not going to spoil the sweet fellowship of the church. He says, have nothing more to do with him. That means you don't call them and say, let's go to Starbucks for coffee and just catch up. No. Not until there's repentance and Forgiveness and grace is extended. Pretty strong words. But you got to understand, you know, Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17, what did he pray? Father, make them one as we are one. There is such harmony, such unity, beautiful unity in the Godhead. And the God of order, who all the way back to Genesis, put things in order in this universe, things that were chaotic, expects it to be orderly in his church. 
He takes false doctrine very seriously. He takes anybody who would stir up division seriously too. And in my 30 years of ministry, I, I, I can think of one or two occasions, sadly, where we've had to deal with somebody this way. Still waiting on one or two to come back in repentance <laughs> from over the years. But uh, Titus was me meant to, to put things in order, okay? To find good leaders, qualified leaders. Uh, to make sure that the pastors, the elders, and the leaders of the church are uh, preaching sound doctrine and refuting those. You know, you've got to have your spiritual antennae up for the false doctrine. Best way is just know the Word of God well enough to where when something false comes in, you can pick it up just like that and uh, strongly refute it. Uh, be, be a church that is killing the world with kindness and good works and serving the world around us. Start there. Uh, three words come to my mind here. Lead, think, act. Lead, think, act. Uh, this is the way you bring order uh, to a disorderly place. Is your Christian life producing uh, the fruit of good works? Paul says in verse 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. He finishes on this topic so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Is your Christian life producing good works? Are qualified pastors and elders leading your church? Don't answer that question. Not in my presence, but no. You know, if you're looking for a church home, and you shouldn't be because this is the one you need to be in, right? No, but if, you're, if you find yourself in that place where you're looking for a church home, you know, you got to look into these matters. It can look great from the outside, but, and then you can, you know, step into that uh, travel brochure, and suddenly you find you're, you're in an un unruly place. Do you hear sound doctrine regularly? A disorderly church is a disaster. It's unfruitful. And it's not fun for anybody to worship there. Over time, people just drift away. Some people dig their claws in and you know, stir it up even more. Uh, we say as a, as a staff, and we have, we have uh, you know, guidelines that uh, we as employees of the church, vocational ministers, must abide by, like a no gossip policy and things of that nature. That trickles down into our elders and our deacons. Uh, there's a high expectation of leaders. And we say we do this not to be authoritarian, but because first of all, we wanna work in a healthy place. Nobody wants to work in a place where everybody's you know, you know, nipping at each other. And we wanna worship in a healthy place. And thank the Lord, this is a wonderfully healthy season in the life of our church. Our staff is healthy, our leadership is healthy, our church family is healthy. Unless something's going on that I don't know about and I usually hear about it, but it's a healthy place. We're not a perfect church, but we, 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 we go to great lengths to create a culture and an environment that, that produces a place where staff enjoys working and church enjoys worshiping here. And you're not walking into a conflict on Sunday. Let's be the answer to the conflicts outside of the church and not be you know, part of that, that conflict. Now is the time, I'm gonna take you back to Genesis, now is the time to put things in order by letting the light of God's truth shine into those dark, formless, and void places 
maybe in your life personally or in, or in the ministry of a church. And we always need to be open to the searchlight of God's Holy Spirit examining those places in our lives so he can put into order what's disorderly in our lives or in our ministry, always for our good, always for our good. Tough assignment for Titus, not an enviable one by any means, but so glad that he didn't run away from a hard assignment. And may more and more pastors be willing to take on hard assignments like that because uh, there are some disorderly churches for a whole host of reasons And sometimes a pastor gets called to a place where he's got to bring order to a disorderly place. And it's not an easy task. But in time, um, God does his work. And uh, he does his work uh, through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good Radio message, Titus, Setting Things in Order. And Dr. Ron Jones joins me now. Ron, you said something I found very thought-provoking today. It was about behavior following belief. You said, change the way you think and the way you behave follows. Talk more about that as we close out today's Something Good Radio broadcast. Sure thing, Brian. Of course, there are endless examples. Uh, For example, if you believe with all your heart that you can fly, you might just give it a shot and jump off a building. But let's talk about a more foundational belief. You know, the world wants us to believe that uh, God's love for us and our love for one another, well, that means total acceptance to whatever choices we make, to whatever lifestyle we choose to live. And the world uh, says things like, I was born this way to justify bad behavior or sinful behavior, and believes it's, it's fine to stay that way, and so it does. Belief precedes behavior. But the message of the gospel is that we're not okay. At least that's the initial message. We're sinners who need a savior. Uh, God says we must be born again uh, as a whole new person and set our course on becoming a little more like Jesus each day. Until we believe that we're not okay just the way we are, that we are in fact sinners in need of a Savior, well, we won't believe that we need a Savior. And this is why the teaching of sound doctrine in our churches is so critical. If we don't teach the true gospel, people won't believe the true gospel, which means they'll continue to live as they please and never accept their need for a Savior. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That implies that if we cling to the false doctrine of, I was born this way, or that God loves me just as I am, and I'll go to heaven based solely on how I am, well, we're missing the whole point of why Jesus said we must be born again. Jesus came to save that which was lost, not to tell us we were just fine without him. Uh, He wants to change us from the inside out, from sinners to sons, from depravity to uh, daughterhood. And it can only happen when a person starts believing he or she needs to be changed because we're sinners who needs a Savior. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts from today's message. And Ron, we're almost out of time. But before we go, tell us what's coming up tomorrow as you continue your series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. 
Sure thing, Brian. Uh, Next, we come to the last of the Apostle Paul's 13 epistles, and it's a story in which Paul talks about the the beauty of forgiveness and second chances, not only our forgiveness by God, but our forgiveness of others. Uh, Philemon was a slave owner with a runaway slave named Onesimus. Uh, He didn't just run away, but he stole from his master. Uh, The law said his crime made him eligible for the death penalty. Sound familiar, Brian? Well, that's where we would all be headed apart from Christ. But Paul made an appeal uh, to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. And I'll get into the story next time as I continue my teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, Philemon, freedom, forgiveness, and second chances. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.